good morning, everybody. Um, this is kind of weird, uh, looking this direction. Uh, if this is your first Sunday here, this probably uh, doesn't seem strange at all, but to those of us who have been here for a little while, we typically face about 90 degrees, exactly 90 degrees uh, the other way. So uh, we're trying to do some things to, uh, to kind of change up the uh, seating format and really the capacity in here just so we can get the most use out of this space that is, is possible. So I um, want to give a big shout out to everybody who was here yesterday, who was helping with some of the things that we changed up in here, uh, as well as some of the things that we were doing in the back room. Um, if you haven't had a chance to go back there yet, we have like we built out a full nursery yesterday, the people that were here. So um, really big thanks to everyone who was involved with that. Um, just really appreciate the time and effort that went into that. Um, I, uh, I sent a video, Blake and Liz are in, in Spain right now, so they're obviously not here with us this morning. Um, I sent a video to Blake this morning because he was wondering you know, what the new setup looked like and wondering what the nursery looked like. And, um, and he was saying that he got kind of emotional <laughs> when, he, when he saw it. Um, and, I, and I felt similar, I think, because it's just really cool to see how the body of Christ works together and how when there are needs that arise, whether it's you know, something as you know, simple as the place where we meet, uh, or whether it's the, you know, the bigger and, and more important things about how we invest in each other's lives and the care that we give each other and uh, those types of things. I think that this group does a really good job of rising to the occasion and meeting those needs. Um, and so I'm just really thankful for everyone who is, uh, who is a part of uh, the things that were done here yesterday and a part of the works that we're going to be doing uh, together as a group going forward as well. Um, we met as a congregation last, uh, last Sunday. Uh, we had our congregational meeting over at the Watsons, um, and that was really good and productive. Uh, we discussed a lot of good things that we want to be working on as a group going forward, um, things that uh, you know, we can hope and plan for the future, but that you know, obviously we're looking to the Lord to provide. Um, and I think even just in you know, the room that we're sitting in this morning, we can already see that, that provision beginning to happen. Um, I think it's also you know, good to be reminded of opportunities that our group has for improvement and ways that we can love and serve each other better. So um, let's continue to encourage each other in those ways uh, that we talked about at the meeting, uh, just finding more ways to encourage and, um, and upbuild one another. And I think that's going to, um, that's gonna have a lot of good impact on, on all of us in the end. Um, I'll also put in a shameless plug here at the top uh, for uh, the upcoming Bible class that uh, Richard and I are gonna be teaching uh, we're going to be studying the book of Revelation starting next Sunday. Um, so if you haven't uh, had a chance yet, maybe go ahead and start uh, thumbing through the pages of Revelation, starting to familiarize yourself, uh, bring your questions. Uh, we're, we're looking to tailor this study to what you guys want to study. We have some plans of some things that uh, we want to cover and some uh, just like a framework for the class that Richard's going to talk a little bit more about next Sunday. But uh, I'd encourage all of us, let's just keep, let's just start doing that, uh, diving into that study as soon as possible. And uh, hopefully we'll get some some good things out of that uh, here at the end of the year. If you will open up your Bibles to Genesis chapter two, <clears throat> Genesis chapter two, we're going to be looking at uh, really spending the first part of our lesson focused in the first five chapters of the Bible. Um, this section of scripture that's known as the the Torah or God's law. Um, in Genesis uh, chapter two, this is in the context of uh, the creation of the world. Uh, you know that famous verse in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Um, and I think it's kind of interesting when you think about uh, the magnitude of what was happening here in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. The entire creation of, of the entire world 
is limited to just one chapter in the Bible. Um, there's, you know, I don't know how many verses in chapter one, 31 verses that describe the creation of the entire world. And I think if you've, you know, if you've been around Christianity for any period of time, you know, you've heard the, the description of these days before. God goes through and, and he creates things in this process. He creates light. He uh, puts, you know, the water in place. He creates uh, vegetation on the land. He creates the animals. And lastly, on the sixth day, God creates man. But God's creation, God's process of creation doesn't end on the sixth day. His creation is complete after the sixth day. There's nothing else that is left to create. God looks out at the end, at, uh, at over all creation, and in verse 31 of chapter of Genesis chapter one, he says, "And it was very good." But I think we know if we if we're familiar at all with the story that the the week of creation doesn't end with day six. If you look with me in Genesis chapter two and verses one and two, it says, "The heavens and the earth were completed with everything that were in them." By the seventh day, God finished the work that he had been doing, and he ceased on the seventh day all the work that he had been doing. God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he ceased all the work that he had been doing in creation. If you're just reading through the the story of creation for the first time, this uh, section here might seem a little bit out of place. It's like, okay, this is all about God creating the world. It's about the beginning of all things uh, and God starting that whole process. What's up with this seventh day of rest? Was God just like, was God just tired? Like, I mean, I, I think creating the entire world would be a little bit of, a, of a, a project for sure. But what's up with this this seventh day of rest here? The concept of the seventh day rest is something that actually gets repeated throughout much of the rest of the story of the Old Testament. Um, we're going to look uh, a little bit later about how this is repeated throughout God's law in the books of uh, Exodus and Leviticus and, and Deuteronomy. Um, but this morning, I, I want to dive a little bit more deeply into the meaning behind this seventh day of rest um, that is commonly referred to in the rest of the, of the uh, scriptures as the Sabbath. I want us to look at some of the background on the Sabbath. Like I said, we'll look through some of the laws that are given in the Old Testament um, and then really try to take from those laws. What does that reveal to us about God? What does that reveal to us about what is important to God um, and what was his purpose behind the Sabbath? I also want us to think about how these Sabbath principles that we're learning should impact our lives today as Christians. We'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more later, but we're not under the same laws that, the, that, are, that we're going to be reading about here in the old law. However, these principles, like I said, reveal to us something about God. And so how should these principles that are revealed here impact our lives? And then lastly, I want us to go through and look at God's revelation of the ultimate Sabbath rest that is shown to us uh, through Jesus. I'll be the first to admit, like, this concept of uh, Sabbath and rest is not one that, uh, that is very easy for me. Um, my, uh, my, my mom is here today, and uh, my wife could tell you this as well, but I'm just not a very restful person by, by nature. Um, my mom likes to, likes to tell people that even when I was a kid, like, I was just trying to squeeze every last ounce out of the day. Like, I, I just wouldn't go to sleep. I'd be trying to, like, read a book or, or, you know, work on something or do something like that. And in a lot of ways, like for me personally, that is, that has served me well over the course of my life. Um, however, I think that at the same time, I'm challenged by this concept because my, uh, my approach to rest and my approach to work doesn't often line up with the principles that God has given in his scripture. And so I'm, I've been really challenged by this lesson. And I hope that the things that um, that I share today and some of the applications that I bring out will be challenging to you as well. 
whether you err on the side of uh, maybe you know working too hard and needing to rest more, or maybe you err on the side of of you know you're good at rest and that's something that um, that you've that you've been practicing for a long time. I hope that this lesson will challenge you in some way f to align your concept of rest to what God wants us to do. Um, and I think that's what his, his scripture has revealed to us here and what I hope we can get out of this study today. Let's say a word of prayer before we dive into this study uh, and think more about God's plan for rest. <clears throat> Lord, we come before you now with hearts open to hearing your word. I pray, Father, that you will help us to uh, put aside all the cares and struggles of this world and to focus on your word. Father, help us not to come into this study with uh, our own uh, biases or our own uh, perspectives, but to just be open to hearing what you have to say from your word. Father, your plan for us is so much better and so much greater than anything that we could plan for ourselves. And I pray that you'll help us uh, to be open to that, help us to be willing to make changes and adjustments where, uh, where is necessary, and just that you'll prick our hearts with your word and, and help us to be changed people because of this. Father, I pray in all things that we do that will be pleasing to you and that you'll be glorified uh, by this hour of study. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, like I said, we just read about God's seventh-day rest after creation. I want us to go through and look at some of the instructions that he gives his people uh, throughout the rest of the old law about how they're supposed to really go about imitating this seventh-day rest uh, and some of the specific instructions that he gives us here. I want us to think about one concept before we dive into these laws that I think is important. Laws help us identify something that is important or valuable to the lawmaker. I'll say that again. Laws help us identify something that is important or valuable to the lawmaker. I think when we think about the old law and some of these, these passages that we're going to read from the books of Exodus and Leviticus and Deuteronomy, I think that's the approach that we need to have here. Not necessarily that these are instructions that are given to us to follow, but things that reveal to us something that is important to the God who made these laws. Um, the Sabbath that we read about throughout these, these five books is an important concept. It's literally scattered throughout the, the entire uh, Old Testament. And I, hope, and I think that uh, if we take it from that perspective of trying to learn what's important to God, this is going to help us uh, figure out how we need to live those same commands out uh, in our lives today. So turn over to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16, we'll start looking through uh, some of these books of the old law and kind of picking up some, some background on the Sabbath uh, and what, what that reveals to us about God as we go through. The first mention of the Sabbath, at least the, that I can see, is here in uh, Exodus chapter 16. The context of this is that Israel has just come out of the, uh, the land of Egypt. They've just been freed from slavery. They've just come through the Red Sea, and they're really beginning their wandering in the wilderness. They're beginning this period of, of traveling from Egypt to the land that God had promised them. And immediately, the people have this concern of, how are we going to eat? Where's the... Where's the manna that we're going to, uh, where's the, the food that we're going to be able to eat? And I just gave it away, but that's, that's what God does for them. God uh, gives them uh, manna in the wilderness. He rains down blessings. He rains down uh, food from heaven for them. Um, and this is the, the context of the first time that the uh, concept of Sabbath is mentioned. Look with me in Exodus chapter 16, verses 22 through 23. In verses 22 and 23, it says, And on the sixth day... They gathered twice as much food, two omers per person. 
And all the leaders of the community came and told Moses. And he said to them, This is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a time of cessation from work, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Whatever you want to bake, bake today. Whatever you want to boil, boil today. Whatever is left, put aside for yourselves to be kept until the morning. So the Sabbath uh, command that is, that is given here is, is pretty simple. Um, it's one that is uh, a command to, that they were to gather twice as much as they needed on the sixth day. And then for the entire seventh day, they were to do no work. It says here they were to cease from work, and they were to observe a holy Sabbath to the Lord. This command is further clarified uh, in the Ten Commandments just a couple chapters later over in Exodus chapter 20. <clears throat> in Exodus chapter 20, um, the fourth commandment that Moses gives here in this list of Ten Commandments, I'll read for us uh, beginning in verse 8. He says, Remember the Sabbath day to set it apart as holy. For six days you may labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, you or your son or your daughter or your, male, or your male servant or your female servant or your cattle or the resident foreigner who is in your gates. I think that these passages here show us the first and maybe the most important principle that is revealed in the old law about the Sabbath. And that is that the Sabbath is about rest. Um, you might be saying, okay, like, I think that that concept is pretty clearly understood. That's kind of what we correlate Sabbath to. That's kind of what we're, we're talking about here today. But what do we mean by rest? What is, what is God uh, referring to when he talks about rest here in, in these uh, commands that he gives? God clearly defines in these verses and really throughout the rest of his law what this rest is supposed to look like. There, there are two Hebrew words that are used uh, here in Exodus chapter 20. The first one is Shabbat, which means to cease from uh, or to stop. So that's the idea of ceasing from the work that you're doing. And then the second one is Nuach. I think I'm saying that right. Nuach, which is to take up residence. So it's not just the idea of uh, ceasing from your work, but it's this also this idea of taking up residence in the restful state that God has commanded us to be in. But what are we, what are we stopping from and what are we supposed to be resting in? Um, the passage here in Exodus chapter 20 and, and in a lot of other places where Sabbath is talked about, it uses some very specific language to talk about uh, what kind of Sabbath this is. It says here that this is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. This isn't just a, this isn't just a rest from work uh, in, in the same way that maybe we rest from work at the end of our workday. Um, this isn't just a rest like we rest at night when we're sleeping. Um, this isn't just a, you know, a stopping what you're doing to eat some food. This is a specific rest that is supposed to be pointed towards the Lord your God. The little or, literal interpretation of this is the Sabbath that belongs to Yahweh. And so our ceasing and resting that is, that is being described here in these verses is supposed to be focused on the Lord. It's something that is, that is uh, focused towards and centered on the Lord, where we cease from all our work <clears throat> and we rest, and we rest in the Lord. Like I said, this is something that we all do from time to time, you know, throughout, throughout our weeks. You know, we rest for sleep, we rest for food, we rest for just relaxation and, you know, turning our minds off for a moment. We all need that for sure. But this Sabbath that is described here is a very specific rest that is set apart to the Lord. So what we learn here <clears throat> from this Sabbath command and the, the principles and instructions that are given here is that God places value upon rest. He places value upon us stopping the work that we're doing, and spending dedicated time in rest and uh, in a relationship uh, focused, focused on him. 
We'll talk a little bit more later about each of these principles and kind of how they're practically applied. But I'm going to go on and, and continue looking at some of the other Sabbath commands that we see uh, throughout the, um, the passages here in the, in the first couple books of the Bible. Let's go back and look at Exodus chapter 20 again. We didn't, read, we didn't finish reading the passage here, um, but if you look with me in verse 11, I'll pick up in Exodus 20 and verse 11. It says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and the sea and all that is in them, and he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. The Sabbath command that we, uh, that we read here is meant to serve as a reminder of God's role as our creator. By resting on the seventh day, the people of Israel would both participate in and acknowledge the fact that God was their creator by imitating him and doing the same thing that he had done when he created the world. However, this isn't the only reminder that the Sabbath was meant to serve. Um, it's really cool in the, in the Torah because uh, they, we basically have two versions of the, same, uh, of the same commands. We have the version in Exodus that was first given to the people when they first go in the wilderness. And then we have Deuteronomy where 40 years later these commands are repeated. So there's a parallel over in Deuteronomy chapter 5. In Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 15 where this command is repeated to the people 40 years later. In Deuteronomy 5 and verse 15, he says, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. This version of the command emphasizes something slightly different from the version in Exodus. The version in Exodus talks about God's role as our creator and how the Sabbath is meant to remind us and help us participate in that creation rest that God uh, went through in the first week. However, what's, what we're reminded about here in, Exodus, in Deuteronomy chapter 5 is the liberation from slavery that is provided by God um, in bringing Israel out of bondage in Egypt. So I think one of the, and we can see here from these verses, one of the primary purposes that God instilled with the Sabbath was to be a reminder, uh, a reminder both of God's role as creator and also his role as liberator. Um, and really you could think about his role as liberator in a parallel light to his role as creator, because really when he liberates Israel, he's, he's creating in them a new life. He's creating in them as a, as a new nation that is coming out of Egypt. Um, but the Sabbath is meant to serve as a reminder of both roles, both God as creator and God as liberator. And think with me about the, the power of, of a frequent reminder uh, about God like this one. This Sabbath that they were observing was something that was observed every week. And we're going to talk about in a minute how it was even amplified in, in certain years uh, beyond that. But every week, your entire family would participate in the same exact practice that was meant to remind us of what God did when he created the world and also what God has done when he, when he liberated uh, them from Egypt. I think both of these reminders serve uh, to emphasize something that we often forget, and that is that God is both powerful and in control, both in his, in, like I'm saying, in his parallel roles here as creator and liberator. And when Israel practiced the Sabbath, they were reminding themselves of that on a continual basis uh, through the habit of, of, of the Sabbath. So what we, what we see here is that the Sabbath serves as a continual reminder of who God is, both creator and liberator of Israel. Let's continue looking at uh, throughout the old law and look at one more thing that the Sabbath reveals to us uh, here. We'll, we'll go on and back to the book of Exodus. Look with me in Exodus chapter 23. <clears throat> 
Exodus chapter 23, and I'll read verses uh, 9 through 12, or 10 through 12. The Sabbath command is, is clarified here and is kind of built upon in this, in this statement that's made here. He says, For six years you shall sow your land and gather in its yield, but in the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. You shall do likewise with your vineyard and with your olive orchard. Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may have rest, and the son of your servant woman and the alien may be refreshed. The Sabbath was not just something that was meant to be observed or performed on a weekly basis, but what we read here is that this was also something that was going to be uh, performed every seven years, that every seven years there would be this Sabbath year that is talked about. Um, this, the, the commands, again, are further clarified in uh, Deuteronomy and the books of Leviticus, and we won't read those for the sake of time, but in those passages, it expands upon this command, telling the people what they are to do and, and not to do in these, in these uh, seventh-year Sabbaths. The people were to not sow any crops, like we read about here. In Deuteronomy uh, and Leviticus, it talks about how they were not only supposed to not sow any crops, but they were supposed to forgive all of the debts that existed. Any debt that they, uh, that, they, that was outstanding was to be forgiven. And anyone who was a slave or a bondservant, when that seventh year came, they were to be set free. And they weren't only to be set free, but they were to be furnished well and given much uh, to be able to, to go and live on their own. Uh, if you look in, in the book of Leviticus, in chapter 25, this sa- uh, seventh year Sabbath is even further expanded upon uh, in this concept of the year of Jubilee. In the year of Jubilee, uh, every seventh seven years, so every, uh, f- every after the 49th year, so basically the 50th year, uh, every, all the debts were to be forgiven. All the, the land was to be restored to those who it originally was, uh, was possessed by. All the slaves were to be freed. Um, everyone had an opportunity to basically have a reset and to be able to go back to the, the position that they were in when they first came into the land. Now, again, this, this concept of, you know, this, this weekly Sabbath and then this seventh-year Sabbath and then the year of Jubilee it might sound all fine and dandy when we're just, you know, reading and thinking about it from a, you know, a third-party perspective in a society that doesn't participate in this. But think about how this would like logistically work in, in your life or in or in our, you know, modern uh, economy even. Every seventh day, your entire workforce would have to rest. The way it's described in in these verses is that it was you and your family and your servants and your animals. There could be no work that was done every seventh day. Every seventh year, you would sow no crops. So your primary source of income, your primary source of food, is completely gone for that, that, that single year. All the debts that are owed to you are forgiven, and that's not like a, you know, forgiven where you like get some of the money back. It's like you are the debtor, and you forgive the debts of those who owe you. And then all your slaves are released, or all, all the people who are, who are working uh, as your bondservants. So a potentially large portion of your workforce goes out the door and you have to well furnish them and give them uh, what they need and then on top of that every 50th year anyone who previously owned your land can come along and basically say I'd like to purchase the land that I originally owned at a fair price and according to the law you're supposed to give it to them I think when we think about this in the in the context of what this would look like in our modern day it's pretty amazing and it's pretty it's pretty challenging to think about Um, I think that this practice would have probably seemed to put Israel at a pretty significant disadvantage to the nations around them when they first were, were thinking about this. Just from a, you know, an economic 
you know, production perspective. Uh, I guess Israel's GDP would have been really low every, every seventh year, and, and the 50th year would have just been like, like nothing, you know? Um, and there would have been some widespread, uh, you know, economic implications to this. I also think it's important to think about this from the various perspectives and the, the different uh, ends of the spectrum, I guess, you could be on. From the perspective of those who were rich in the land of Israel, this Sabbath practice would have required a lot of sacrifice. Um, you're giving up, uh, you know, the debts that are owed to you. You're giving up your workforce. You're giving up the potential to, you know, make income and, and earn and, and feed your, yourself and your family every seventh year. But from the perspective of the slave or the perspective of the borrower, I think we see a different side of it. That this would have offered a great opportunity for redemption of that which would have been lost. What we learn from the, se uh, the seventh Sabbath and the year of Jubilee is that Sabbath is, involves redemption and involves sacrifice. <clears throat> Participating in God's rest is going to require some sacrifice on our part from time to time. Not always, but if we, if we follow the pattern of, of uh, God's Sabbath rest that is talked about here, I think it has to. But the promise is also great in the Sabbath. The promise is also there that there will be a great redemption, a great freedom that is offered uh, because of the Sabbath to all those who are, who are poor and burdened. But regardless of whether you are rich or poor, regardless of what your you know, status and position was, I think that what this uh, Sabbath practice would have guaranteed was that people who truly followed this, which Israel, spoiler alert, did not do a very good job of following this throughout their entire history, but if they had actually followed this, they would have had to rely on God, whether rich or poor, to provide for them. If you're poor, you're trusting that the people who are, who are rich and who have things are going to follow through with this command, and they're going to, to practice this. And if you're rich, you have to trust that God is going to uh, provide for you in those years when you're not going to produce anything and where you're going to be forgiving debts and giving up a lot. But God promises over and over again that he will provide if we will only trust him. And so what we learn here from the Lord's Sabbath, from, from God's Sabbath rest, is that sometimes it's going to involve sacrifice, but that God has, has promised, has given us a great promise of redemption uh, for, through this Sabbath as well. So hopefully now maybe we understand a little bit better about the purpose of the Sabbath, um, these three things that uh, we talked about here, that God has commanded us under the old law. Like I said before, uh, laws reveal to us something that is important to or valuable to the lawmaker. And I think these things show us some of the purpose and some of the importance that God placed behind the Sabbath. But how does this apply to us as followers of Christ today? Like I mentioned before, the New Testament makes it very clear to us that we're, we are no longer under a command to follow the old law in the same way that uh, the people who this was originally written to are. Um, Paul mentions specifically the Sabbath in Colossians chapter 2 uh, and verses 16 through 17. I'll read that quickly for us here. In Colossians 2, he says, Therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Paul also tells us later in Galatians chapter 3 that the law was a, a guardian or a tutor to bring us to Christ. Um, and like I said earlier, these laws that we've just read about are meant to show us something important about God, meant to show us something about uh, what God intends for us. So what lessons should we be taking away as God's people, as followers of God today who are following uh, according to the New Testament? What are some things that we can learn uh, from God's Sabbath as Christians today? 
the first thing that I want to point out is uh, that we need to actively cease from our work and we need to rest in God. If this was something that was important for God to command the Israelites about, how much more important is it for us today that we have this practice of resting from our work, ceasing, and instead resting in the Lord? Look with me at uh, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. We'll look at a couple of examples of what this looks like uh, for Christians today. In Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What we're commanded to do here sounds very similar to a Sabbath-style rest. We're to set aside the cares and the worries of the world, to put aside all the things that that are burdening our hearts and to give those to God. And the promise that is given here is that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard us. I think we've, you know, we've been talking about this a lot recently in the class that uh, Jason and David have been teaching on prayer. Um, and this has been on my mind a lot lately that we need to be more, a people who are more in the, in the habit of practicing prayer. And I think that at least what I've, what I've realized, um, and this is not news to me necessarily, but I think what I've realized more as we've been studying prayer the past couple months is that that just takes intentionality. It takes us stopping what we're doing and instead choosing to intentionally rest in God. This, you know, this isn't just something that's going to, to happen naturally. This isn't something that's going to happen uh, overnight. This is something that we have to be intentional about. Um, if we're truly going to be a people uh, who follows this pattern of rest that we see uh, is important to God here. We have to be intentional about that. Look with me also in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17, the Apostle Paul says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. We need to, we need to be careful about the way that we spend our time. We need to be careful about the, the way that uh, we, we structure our days and we structure our life to make sure that we're making time for the important things, to make sure that we're stopping from our work and actively choosing instead to rest in God. I think about the, you know, the things that are a consistent part of all of our days, you know, sleep and eating, um, maybe for me, like watching baseball these days, that's probably not the most important thing, but maybe somewhat of a consistent part of my, of my day these days. Uh, all, the, all the things that are, that are a normal part of your day, you do those things because you're in the habit of them. And it almost seems, you know, it's almost just second nature that you would do those things. Spiritual things need to be in that same category for us. It needs to be almost second nature that we are, that we are praying, that we are spending time alone with God, that we're thinking on spiritual things and, and dwelling on those things. And that just requires an intentionality with how we spend our time. And that's what Paul is encouraging us here in Ephesians chapter 5, that we be wise about how we spend our time, because the days are evil, and we do need to, to work to understand what the will of the Lord is. So we need to be in the practice of ceasing from our work and instead actively choosing to rest in God. The second thing that I want to point out here is that the way that we rest should cause us to be reminded of God. Our rest should remind us of God. There's obviously a lot of ways to rest that don't directly involve the Lord, don't directly involve uh, spiritual things. And I'm by no means saying that that is a bad thing or that that's something that you should avoid. I think we all need that time from time to time to just, you know, relax and, uh, and rest our minds. Um, 
But as much as is possible, if we're seeking God's rest, if we're seeking a Sabbath to the Lord, then we need to be pursuing things that cause us to be reminded of God. Um, a couple of examples that, that I thought about with this, uh, if you look at Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 says, For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. We need to be looking for God in the world around us. We need to be spending time in his creation, spending time um, in, in the, the, the world that he has made. And not just from, you know, the perspective of like, oh, you know, we, we see God in nature and we experience him in nature. I think that's true. But we need to be giving him praise for those things that we're seeing and experiencing. We need to be, uh, to, to be looking for his eternal power and his divine nature in the world around us that we see. Because those things that, like Paul says here in Romans, are clearly seen. Those invisible attributes are clearly seen. And so maybe part of our rest from time to time should be something that, uh, even if it's not an active you know, prayer or a Bible study or something like that, points us towards God and reminds us of the things that are true about, about who God is. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32, uh, we'll look at another way that we can uh, actively uh, see God and be reminded of him through our rest. In Ephesians 4 and verse 32, he says, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God and Christ forgave you. I think that one way that we can be reminded of God in our rest is by going out of our way to love and serve and forgive someone. Uh, because that's what God has done for us. And in those moments where we offer someone that grace, when we offer someone that love and that kindness and that forgiveness, um, we're putting ourselves in the habit of doing something that reminds us of God. We're imitating God in the same way that the Israelites were commanded to imitate him when he rested on the, on the seventh day. I think the verse that, that speaks to this concept the most clearly to me is one that we've talked about recently in the first John class. In first John chapter three and verse 16, where he says, by this, we know love that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. We imitate God's love for us by reciprocating that to the people that we're around, to our, to our brothers and to the people that we love and care about. And so I'll just encourage us that, you know, this rest that we're talking about is not always just something that we should be doing in the way that is uh, most pleasing or most well-suited to what we want, but that sometimes our rest needs to be something that specifically causes us to be reminded of who God is, of what he has done for us, of his invisible attributes, his divine nature, but also his love and his kindness and what he has, what he has done for us um, and the love that he has shown to us. Lastly here, uh, the last uh, point that we'll take away from this is that godly rest should sometimes involve sacrifice of ourselves and seeking redemption of others. A true Sabbath rest involves sacrifice, if we're, if we're basing that off of what we've seen, the principles we've seen in God's law. Building off of what we said in the last point, sometimes our rest should involve an active sacrifice of ourselves. Um, that seventh year Sabbath that we read about in Exodus and Leviticus and that, that year of Jubilee, it would have been a, a great and an amazing thing. And, and I, I imagine that, I mean, it's called a year of Jubilee. Like it's like a, it's a, a, a happy thing. But to get to that point, there would have been a lot of uh, sacrifice that was required on a lot of people, a lot of inconveniencing ourselves for the sake of others. And I think that is a crucial aspect of uh, the Sabbath rest that, is, that God describes here. That rest is not always just something that is what we necessarily want to do or what we need in that moment, 
but sometimes it involves sacrificing ourselves uh, for others. Additionally, uh, I think what this forces us to do, like I said before, it forces us to rely on God's provision. It forces us to, to trust in him that he is going to provide what we need, even in those moments where we are sacrificing ourselves, where we are giving of ourselves, uh, maybe in times where we don't even really want to. What that does is it puts in our hearts that we are going to be relying on God and not ourselves. Additionally, like I talked about before, a big aspect of the Sabbath uh, involves redemption of the poor and redemption of, of the broken. And so whether we're the ones who are being redeemed, whether the, we're the ones who are benefiting from the sacrifice of others, or the ones who are, who are sharing God's redemption, who are offering that uh, redemption message, uh, we need to be emphasizing that in our, in our rest as well, that God has offered uh, redemption. A couple of verses that I think speak to this, uh, I'll just read quickly uh, in Romans, Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 through 2. God tells, uh, or Paul tells the Romans here, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And then in Romans chapter 8, in verse 36, Paul tells the Romans here, For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. The attitude that Paul has about what the life of a Christian looks like, what the uh, life of someone who is dwelling and abiding in God's rest looks like, is one of sacrifice, of being a living sacrifice. Whether that is sacrificing ourselves to God or sacrificing ourselves to others. And so I'll encourage us that from time to time, and I'm not saying this is, uh, you know, 100% of the rest that we have in God, but from time to time, just like they did in the Old Testament, our Sabbath should involve sacrifice. Instead of resting how we want to rest, rest in a way that serves other people. And maybe from time to time, we are even willing to sacrifice our rest for the sake of our brethren, for the sake of others uh, who need to hear this message of redemption. And like I said before, I think that's part of this too, is that in our rest, we should be sharing and demonstrating the fact that there is rest in God, that there is a redemption in God. It's, you know, the classic uh, example that we, we talk about from time to time. If you had a cure to cancer, why would you hide that? If you had access to the rest that God, uh, that so many people in the world are looking for, that so many people are, are, are seeking for actively, why would you hide that? Sometimes it's going to require sacrifice in order to share that good news with them, in order to share the rest that we have obtained we're going to have to sacrifice to, to share that. And so true Sabbath rest should involve uh, sacrifice. So as we learn about how to apply these principles of the Sabbath to our life and think about you know, how the, what this looks like in our lives today, I think it's important to think about that this life that we have here is never going to offer us the final rest that we're searching for. We can and, and we will, and all of us who are you know, uh, part of Jesus' body here, we have found rest in Jesus. But ultimately, we're waiting for another rest that is, that is going to come someday. In, uh, in Hebrews chapter 4, the Hebrew writer speaks to this. In Hebrews 4, I'll read verses uh, 8 through 11. Talking about the, uh, the people of Israel when they enter the land, uh, the Hebrew writer says, For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. 
the Hebrew writer here in chapters 3 and 4 is referencing Psalm, back to Psalm 95, actually. And he's talking about whether there is still a Sabbath rest that remains for the people of God um, now that the Sabbath has been, has been done away with. And he argues that if the rest that was provided in the days of Joshua, this rest that we were talking about back in the old law, was sufficient, then another rest wouldn't have needed to be mentioned later on in, in Psalm 95 when, when that was written. There's an ultimate Sabbath that we are looking forward to and that we have access to as believers. But what the Hebrew writer says here is maybe even a little bit confusing to us. In verses uh, 10 and 11, he says, whoever has entered God's rest. And then in verse 11, he says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. So have we entered it or, or are we going to enter it? I think the answer is both. We are able to partake in God's rest now. The things that we've talked about this morning are something that we can and should be partaking in now. And even though that's challenging at times, um, that's something that we have access to uh, in the here and now. But at the same time, we also anticipate our participation in that great ultimate rest that God has offered us in heaven. The coming of Jesus allows us to participate in the Sabbath rest now in an even greater way than Israel did in the, in the time of the Sabbath. But that ultimate rest to come is what we're really looking forward to. That's what, that's what has been prepared for us and what we are seeking and striving after. So for those of us who have believed and who have placed our trust in Jesus, uh, this should be a, a great message of comfort. There remains a Sabbath rest for God's people. What a comforting promise that is. That's what we need to be putting our faith and our trust in. That's what we need to be resting in, is the promise that not only do we have access to rest and peace here in this life, but we'll have that uh, in the life to come as well. But if you haven't yet believed in Jesus, the warning that the, the writer here in Hebrews chapter 4 gives is great as well. Back in Hebrews 4 and verse 1, he says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should have seemed to fail to reach it. The door to God's eternal rest is still open. Uh, it's, still, it's still there, and we all need to consider whether our lives are right with God so that we are not at risk of, of not entering that rest. I, a, a great uh, preacher of the gospel that I uh, listened to for many years said it really well, that if you've missed heaven, you've missed it all. And that's what I hope that you'll take away from this morning, that Jesus has to be our ultimate source of rest. And we need to be putting our ultimate source of rest in the fact that one day he's going to come back and he's going to take us home to be with him in the ultimate Sabbath rest that he's promised for us. I'll close with the words that Stephen read uh, in the scripture at the beginning. In Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 through 30, uh, as, as an encouragement for all of us to place our trust in Jesus for our rest. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let us place our trust in Jesus and the rest that he has promised for us. We'll have a song of encouragement, um, and then we'll close out.